Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Phases of the Moon Knight podcast. My name is Dan, and three months ago I invited my friend Dwayne to join me in a review of the comic book history of Moon Knight, who's been a favorite character of mine for a long, long time. Dwayne's an avid fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he'd never read comics. My thought was that it'd be interesting to see what someone completely new to comic books would think about this admittedly offbeat character. Even better was that with an upcoming Moon Knight show on the horizon, after we went through Mark Spector's history, we could then watch the Disney Plus show together and see how it references and diverges from the source material. Which brings us to now. We have covered almost 300 Moon Knight comics since the start of the year and have searched out and discussed dozens of spoilers, trailers, articles, and rumors about the TV show. Now, we finally get to put it all together and actually see what Marvel has in store for us. If you've been with us all along, we appreciate your support and hope that the podcast is adding to your enjoyment of the series. Or, if you're just joining us for the first time for this TV show review, welcome to the club. We're glad to have you here. One last thing we'd like to mention before we get going. This is going to be a lot of spoilers in this episode. Pretty much the whole podcast is just a big ball of spoilers, in fact. So if you haven't watched Moon Knight Episode 1 yet, now's the time to go do that. Because the one thing we will tell you is that Moon Knight is different and it's good. So go watch it and then come back to us. We'll wait for you. So we are going to talk about six things, and each of us has got three of them that we're going to kind of bring up. I'm going to start us out with England, and basically the question of what the heck are they doing in England, right? Because never in all the time we've been reading Moon Knight is Moon Knight hanging out really in England. He is a New Yorker, like all of the other Marvel characters pretty much. You know, Daredevil, The Avengers, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange... Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, all of them, they hang out in New York. That's their base of operations. I yep. think that might be the reason why he's in England, to be quite frank, is that at a certain point they just wanted to get us out of town and be able to have a slightly different, uh, maybe more scenic place to to set the show. It also gives them access to uh, sending um, like Moon Knight out into Europe a little bit more easily if they want to, that sort of stuff. And as we're moving through, it's just interesting because Mark Spector himself is an American. Um, now we have Stephen Grant, who's got a British accent. Never had a never had a British accent before. Now he works at a museum, right? He's like a, a, sh a shopkeeper selling little uh, candies to kids in a museum shop. He used to be a billionaire philanthropist, so. A lot has changed for our man over the last couple of years. Um, what did you think about this change? Yeah, you know it. It's. I think. I think. I think it works. Actually, I think the way they told the story in the first episode, I think it works. It just. I. I, I think as far as like superhero movies, I. I know me personally. Little New York fatigue. We've we we've seen New York, all right. Let's let's 
let's let's get out in the world and and see more of it and i think like as a u.s audience just in general i think overseas locations are more mysterious anyway so if you if you want to have a little bit of mystery in the story i think that that having it in a place that a lot of people aren't familiar with can can do that you know i i think not being in new york means there's less chance that he's going to run into other marvel heroes you know i don't know Mm -hmm. what they're intending to do during the course of this but i think it i think it makes sense if they're not planning on having him interact but like if something did happen from a story standpoint that caused him to potentially kind of go into this state going somewhere you don't normally go to to lie low like you know because layla is saying you know i've been texting and calling for months you'd go somewhere like like london where it's big but nobody knows who you are yep there you go and i mean there is also the fact that really he's he's a pretty terrible businessman for most of the time, we've seen that he somehow got really rich, but we've never seen right. him actually be good at staying rich since. So maybe he's better suited to be a, a like shopkeeper in a, a museum shop. Who knows? Well, from the sounds of it, he's not very reliable. He's, as he's far not as very good showing up to work. He's or not anything. very good at that I, either, I guess. So, but anyways, so England—that's where we're going. Uh, I'm I'm happy with it. I think it's going to be fun. So. But that's that's a pretty substantial change from the comics. So we'll see how it goes. So what do you got for us? So let's talk about the blackouts and and like the 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 sleep ritual that I think has spawned from these blackouts or something that's going on. He's Stephen Grant knows something's going on. He he says he's waking up and feeling like he's getting hit by a truck. Uh, you know when he's calling and talking to his mom. And, and so he's got this big elaborate sleep ritual that we see he's doing puzzles, trying to sleep as much as, or as little as possible. And, and yet he's still presumably going out and, and, uh, you know, doing things that he's not aware of. And, and what does that do as far as the buildup for you for the episode? Because, because it kept happening and it was longer and and it was uh you know causing there were there were more issues as a result of these blackouts well well first i think it'd be interesting to know how it how it kind of is going over for people who don't know who moon knight is like for people who don't understand yeah that there are these altars and that he's got other personalities that are going to be you know coming out taking control and the like um, but, but for me, it, it basically has just been interesting because we don't normally see these sorts of communication problems between Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. Normally, right. you know, it's, it's more of a smooth transition where all the parts know exactly what everybody else is up to. And it's more like he's just putting on a different hat and a fake mustache and he heads out the door to do whatever he's doing. So I, I think that's going to be a big difference just in terms of how the character functions and and the way that um sort of the way that the story goes based on the fact that that's just a completely different way of of looking at how his his uh did uh sort of expresses itself right right i i actually really liked the way this this worked as a storytelling technique i think it adds this extra layer of sort of mystery because you 
as the kind of the person audience watching are kind of learning what's going on along with Stephen Grant is kind of getting it. And and so it reminds me a lot of the movie Memento, where where the guy had short term mm-hmm. memory loss, found himself in some really weird situations, had to think fast and and, and, and deal with it and just on the fly. And so I think I think it actually kind of helps the story. And like the the street rituals and stuff, it, it, it proves he doesn't really know what's going on because if he if he he thinks he's just sleepwalking and it's really that somebody else is kind of inhabiting and and doing the things. So you know, Mark Spector can jump over, you know, can un unhook himself from the from the wall and and can get over the sand and all this sort of thing. So it, it just it worked well. And then by the time the end of the episode rolls around when he's in the bathroom and then Mark starts speaking to him in the mirror, it was like it was a reveal like to us as the audience as well as Stephen Grant. And then the transformation into Moon Knight, it just it, it, it was like somebody lit a fuse. And then by the end of the fuse, it just or, or by the end of the episode, it just sort of blew up. And it, and it, it, it really worked for me from a storytelling standpoint. No, no, I don't agree with that. I also think that it allows it allows the show to imply just how dangerous Moon Knight is without necessarily getting a lot of that violence expressed in the first episode. So you kind of ease right. people in a little bit and it's more of a a suspense element and then that understanding that there's something really bad happening, but we don't see it, we just see the results of it. And eventually, yeah. I suspect, we're going to start seeing the actual Mark Spector doing his damage. But for now, that's all kind of in the future. So Yeah, it, it, it still works well. And, and like we have the reference now of time for, you know, blackout time frames that are, you know, a few moments during, during, the, during the big chase scene to actually there being like days where he's gone. And which is why, you know presumably the fish died which is the whole idea the the, mm-hmm. the name of the episode uh where he has to go get a replacement fish and misses the date and and all that sort of thing so yep. it, it, it was really interesting how they how they made that uh or how they did that this episode absolutely all right so the other thing we kind of want to talk about is we've spent a lot of time with Conchu over the last few months and He's an interesting character, and they've started to make him already a very memorable character in the show. So, relatively early on, earlier than I actually thought, we start actually seeing the personification of Kanchu sort of almost like haunting Stephen Grant. And he, you know, he appears in the hallway, and he's standing behind him sometimes, and he's just kind of cracking wise at him and making fun of him and berating him and wishing he was... Basically, just get out of the way and let Mark Spector do whatever violence it is Conchu wants to have done at that point. So, I think he's going to be a really interesting character, uh, just as he has been in some of the comics. I mean, you're you're pretty used to at this point having this weird, semi disembodied bird hanging over his shoulder, making fun of him. Right? We've we've seen this. Right. Yes. Th- this is this is not new. This is this is. It, 
It it felt like Kanchu. Yep. I, I don't I can't think of any higher praise than that. It looked like Kanchu. We've seen the statues, you know, when he wasn't the faceless Raul Bushman or or you know something like that. Uh, he he looked like this bird creature, but you mm-hmm. know it, that that's what was in my head. And the voice F. Murray Abraham, I he sound he he now sounds like Kanchu to me. He, he the the script that he read sounded like what i what i've been reading for the last you know few months from kanchu i i thought it was absolutely perfect and that how how that just came together like that all right well i'm still getting used to f murray abraham he doesn't sound quite the way that kanchu sounds in my head but i will get there i'm sure it'll it'll all uh, it'll all come together so so we're going to we're going to look forward to seeing more from him and and obviously that's just sort of the the tip of the spear as par as far as all of the egyptian mythology stuff that we're going to be seeing so we'll talk about a little of that here in a bit i also suspect that there's something in the great pyramid of giza because they wouldn't have them standing there talking about how there's nothing in the great pyramid of giza unless we're obviously going to go and find something there sometime in the show so get get ready for that's a rather blatantly obvious foreshadowing there something as far as as that something more than a candy wrapper in in that pyramid so what else do you have for us Dwayne? we got uh what what's your next topic so i want to talk about the music because i think one of the like key things when it comes to a marvel whether it be a movie or a tv show is is the use of music and i and i think they did an absolutely fantastic job of of using music to to kind of help enhance the storytelling it, it is amazing to me that you've got you know all this music to choose from yet somehow they they just go and pick and and pull stuff that i've either either haven't heard in a long time or haven't ever heard and yet it just seems to sort of match uh what's going on you know we had every grain of sand from bob dylan on the introduction of of arthur harrow which just sort of felt uh you know sort of perfect it felt a little mysterious it felt a little kind of religionous religion e to it um it just sort of it just sort of worked you had engelbert humperdinck and a man without love is is the music embodiment of stephen grant he is alone he is awkward he's not well off he's he's just this isolated person and it just it's it it just sort of worked and it brought me into the character uh and and then wham (laughs) <laughs> wake me up before you go go during this 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 dream slash nightmare thing that Stephen Grant thinks he's happening in the in the in the stupid cupcake truck it was just it was it was one of those things where it's like this is the kind of weird song that would be in a dream that I want to wake up from but at the same time it just sort of I felt like it was just sort of perfect it just sort of was like that 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 just works and and then it just was in my head for the rest of the night Alrighty then so i i think i speak for a lot of moon knight fans when i say that if if we'd have been told two years ago that the world would be introduced to moon knight while he's driving a cupcake van while wham plays on the soundtrack we would have burned marvel studios to the ground to prevent <laughs> to prevent this show from ever being made yeah. right but it was all just 
fun and it works and it was it was really nice to see an episode that you know they do build it with the music so well and they build it with the story and everything else so well it was it was lighthearted at times but you could still feel everything building and so mm -hmm. it's it's definitely though Engelbert Humperdinck and Wham on the soundtrack I would not have had that on my bingo card I, I really would not have but yeah. yeah it sounds great it was all very cool music is as much an important role as anything else in a good story like, like in a tv show or movie and and they continue to astound me at just how, how good a job they can do with that okay very cool what have i got my next one is i want to talk a little bit about arthur harrow and amit and essentially the antagonists that moon knight's going to be facing in this so arthur harrow again a really deep cut right he's he's had exactly one appearance in marvel history and that's in moon knight volume two the fisticonchu books where in issue number two he appears as a scientist who is sort of going back and and replicating or or building off of nazi experiments by kidnapping people and then essentially almost like turning them into these weird running. pain zombies, right? Yeah. And They're running experiments on yep, them. Experimenting on them and the like. And Moon Knight yeah. comes in, he breaks it up, and Harold goes into hiding to continue his experiments and has hid so well that we haven't seen him in 40 years, right? Now it's yeah. it seems like this may be intentional in that they wanted to have a character who is sort of a blank slate. Um because a lot of us have tried to figure, you know, is he actually Arthur Harrell? Is this the Sun King character? Is it the combination of somebody else? But it sounds like from some of the stuff you've been hearing and that we've been seeing, that really he is a character that was sort of almost created uh, by Ethan Hawke and by the writers and everyone in a collaboration and really isn't necessarily any particular existing character. No, that there was, there was a, an interview in IGN with... The, the director and he talked about the fact that you know the part of what brought Ethan Hawke into this role was the fact that he'd be able to kind of help create the character and you know there's been mentions of David Koresh and and different things like that that he pulled on for inspiration but but that opening scene was was something that 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 he kind of kind of threw out there and, and they built on it and 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 filmed it and it was that they loved it so much. They're like this. This actually sort of sets the tone that we want to send for this whole series, and that's why that's the opening uh, ahead of the Marvel logo. It, it, the the scene with him, you know, drinking the water in the glass, crushing the glass, then putting the glass in the sandals. This is the kind of character that you're going to be dealing with mm -hmm. uh, across these six episodes. No, yeah. so. Harrow, though, appears to have some supernatural powers, right, as well. So he's not yeah. just kind of a, a cult leader. He's got something going on where he's got scales on his arm, and then essentially he can, can judge someone, essentially take their hands, be able to find out whether they either are a bad person or might become a bad person, and then their soul just sort of gets sucked out. And the way it's explained is that he is essentially an avatar of Amit, another Egyptian god, and that if the person's found to be unworthy, 
then their soul is sucked out. They actually turn kind of gray. Looked like that old lady sort of almost turned gray as she fell. And then they just yeah. part her away. Um, but so what really it looks like we're building towards is this battle of two Egyptian gods with their avatars on Earth in Moon Knight and, uh, and Arthur Harrell being sort of the vehicles that, that are fighting the battle for them. Yeah, in, in a literal sense, because you had, you know, uh, Stephen Grant trying to give him the scarab yep. and, you know, he's he can't control his body. He's, he's making the fist. He He's, you know, moving his hand away. He's he's clomping away like like the actual Tanshu that we saw early, you know, in the in the mm -hmm. hallways, uh, actually a little bit later. So it is. It, it 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 does sort of feel like that's exactly where this is headed, yep. and and I think that that's a great uh, a, a great story to tell. Yep. And what this also means is that we're pretty much off the beaten path as far as there's probably not an, an easy existing storyline or anything like that that we're going to be to be seeing. This is going to be essentially a a unique new story uh, that we'll be we'll be checking in on, which which in some ways is nice. So the final thing I want to talk about is, and, and I can't believe I'm the one that's actually bringing this up. It's references to the comics. I mean, I anytime there is a comic book humor movie or, or TV show or something, you you expect there's going to be some Easter eggs, and and there there was, I think, some stuff in here that that is definitely Easter egg uh, quality quality stuff uh, that you know. You might miss if you didn't read the comics, or or it definitely hit for you. Um, stuff that's pretty obvious, and then there's some kind of lesser lesser stuff. I the biggest one that jumps out to me, very first time I saw it, uh, Jean Paul Ducamp, Frenchie was in was in the uh, in the phone, and and not only was he in the phone, he was at the thirty second call, as you pointed out to me before that we recorded. And the very first appearance of Moon Knight in a comic book was in Werewolf by Night 32. So I, I don't think it's coincidence that 32 was that number. I, I would I would say there's almost no chance anything in this is coincidence, to be quite frank. They, sure. they plan everything for these. It's astonishing the work they do, kind of putting all of these fun little things in. Exactly. So we had, we had the street performer... The 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 stat the golden man. Uh, you you met you you caught that it was Crowley. He looked like I Crowley did. immediately to me as soon as as soon as he sat there and I saw him. Like he's got kind of the long hair. He's got the monocle, so he looks a little bit sort of just you know um, kind kind of a little bit disheveled and a, and a little bit still with that aristocratic kind of bearing. Absolutely, it was Crowley immediately to me. That that actor is credited as playing Crowley, so you you nailed it, and uh, it, it makes perfect sense. He's a he's a he was a street performer, and that that's where Crowley was. He was on the streets getting Jake Lockley information, so that makes perfect sense. But on a lesser note, he's talking to somebody who's not talking back, which he did a lot of in the books. But it was a statue, and he was Crowley was kind of in a statuesque sort of pose. He wasn't moving, and so like even that, I feel like is a little bit of a reference uh, re reference to the comics. Mm -hmm. uh, we had the scarab, uh, 
the scarab beetle when he comes back after he loses it and then flashes to Mark and comes back. It's got little wings uh, in his bloody hand that look a lot like the the uh, scarab darts from that same Fist of Khonshu volume. I think uh, makes makes perfect sense. He had Arthur Harrow call Grant a mercenary. We might get some more backstory as to as to how Grant ended up here, but right now, mercenary that that's Mark Spector. That is Mark Spector's past, which is from the comics, and, and even just like the uh, dog that Stephen Grant is going after in the in the museum at the end, where Moon Knight makes his first appearance under a crescent moon at night. It just sort of felt like a reference to werewolf by night and, and moon Knight's very first appearance in comics. And you also, um, you, you mentioned the whole talking to the statue. I, I think one, for me, one of the great mysteries is who is he actually talking to? If anybody, when he's calling his mom, is he actually calling, talking to anybody <laughs> ever? And then he's getting postcards. Is he sending is, is, you know, Mark Spector sending him postcards and, and the like. Um, who knows what's going on with that? But I, I do think that Mark Spector is messing with Stephen Grant. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yeah. He's, he's taking yeah. joy in making his life more miserable than he needs to for whatever reason. Both with messing up his dates well, and, yeah, just confusing the issue all over the place. So. But overall, did you like the show? Oh, I loved the show. I mean, just in the fact that as someone who's watched for 20, 30 years, you can tell pretty early when something's going to be a train wreck, when someone's adapting something you love. And this is not going to be a train wreck. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a really, really well done, well thought out adaptation that I think has a chance to be, you know, kind of, kind of like I, I predicted in our, in our podcast last week, I think this is going to be one of the best of all the Marvel uh, shows. I, I would continue with that. I think they're well on their way to making something different and something special. Yeah, I I really liked this episode as well. I, I, I think it's right up there with me with Loki as being uh, one of the best Disney shows. And we're one episode in, so it's got time to, that it could potentially pass it. But I, it, it feels like there was something in there for everybody, whether it was you wanted some action, you wanted some mystery or suspense, whether you wanted some humor but I, I like the fact that it feels like it still feels like Moon Knight, even if this is a brand new story, something we haven't seen in any of the comics before. It still feels like Moon Knight. And, and, and you know, maybe that means it doesn't hit quite as wide an audience, but it still feels like it's going to hit a lot of people and a lot of people are going to find this interesting. No, I would absolutely agree. I think that it's going to. You know, it, it, it isn't going to be something that maybe everybody who's got a Disney Plus account is going to be watching with their kids, right? Especially as we move forward. I mean, really, this week's episode, there wasn't a whole lot there that would have been objectionable to, to most families. But I think that probably as we move along, some of that implied violence is going to turn into actual violence. And it's going to become a much, screen, yeah. a much darker and a uh, kind of a more brutal show. But for now, um, they've done a really good job of setting up the characters, setting up sort of the base uh, as far as 
kind of who all the pieces are on the board. Now we really just have to find out what Arthur Harrow's plan is and what's going on so we can, we can get some idea what this is all about. That'll bring us to the end of our episode one review. We want to thank you all for joining us. We'd love for you to stick around as we continue our journey through the story of Moon Knight. We recommend you subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you've already subscribed, please consider leaving us a review. It'll help others find the podcast. You can send us questions or comments via email, questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at phasesofmk. We'll be back on Tuesday with our review of Secret Avengers and Moon Knight Volume 6. And then again on Friday when we'll share our thoughts on Episode 2 of the TV show. Oh, 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 oh,